I want to uh, dig into scripture just a little bit. And before we do that, uh, I, I, I've titled this Stick to the Plan. And the reason why is because, first of all, I need to give a, a little disclaimer at the very beginning of this. Um, I have no formal training in carpentry. I have no formal training in whatever the word, mechanicatry, whatever you would call that, uh, being a mechanic, working on uh, vehicles. However, I often find myself attempting to perform projects such as this in my own home and on our own vehicles, um, sometimes because I kind of like it and sometimes just because I don't like to pay for it. Um, You know, like I said, I have no formal training, and there are times when uh, projects turn out almost successfully, and there are other times, and uh, we won't even dig into those other times, but I have enough intuition about some of my my own skills and, and the way that things kind of fit together and standing back and just kind of thinking about a project that there's a, a part of of this process that, that really comes back on me. It, it's, it's the fact that I don't always succeed is kind of my own fault. So this whole disclaimer here is just that I really don't like directions. I don't like instructions. And I know that, that there are at least maybe one other person in here that might agree with me on that. But I want to give you a, a scenario to kind of illustrate this. Um, within this past year, well, actually, this last Saturday, our, our youngest son, Ellis, turned one. For those of you who didn't know that, we celebrated for him, and it was a really fun day. But in this last year, there was a time when he began to become mobile and we needed to put these baby gates up at our house. And so we've got these two sets of stairs that he has access to, and obviously we didn't want him tumbling down. So we had these gates. It's time to install them. You know, I got them out of the box and looked at them and thought, simple enough. You know, the box actually said, extremely easy assembly. So why on earth would you even need to include directions? I thought, well, there's no point in looking at those. So... Um, I get the gates out, I look at it, and I think, well, simple. You know, it's a gate. You put this part with that part, and it's got to attach to the wall so that it'll hinge, and then obviously it needs to fasten on one side, and simple enough, right? So I begin to put these things together, and a minute turns into 10 minutes, which turns into 30 minutes, and then 45 minutes later, I'm scratching my head and and a little frustrated at this point, I never lose my cool, but I was a little frustrated at this point that it, the extremely simple assembly wasn't coming together exactly the way that I was told it might. So at that point, I, I thought, well, they did include some instructions. Perhaps I'll look at those. So I kind of dig out this manual from this pile of parts, which is like it's a gate. Why does it need parts? And why do all these extra things come with this? So I unfold the plans for this thing, and I start to look at it, and there's no pictures on it. It's just a bunch of words, and half of them aren't even in English, and I just get even more frustrated, and so I think, who needs directions, and I throw them aside, and I think, YouTube, right? Surely somebody owns this thing, and I'm looking for pictures here, so let's get on YouTube, and I pull up this video, and I don't know if if you ever consult YouTube for instructions on something, but first of all, If you're mad already, don't go to YouTube because I can guarantee you there's a nine-year-old kid online who's already figured it out and is going to tell you how to do it. And sure enough, that was the case. However, 
the first link I clicked on was the actual video that they released for these gates. And I thought, great, here we go. So, and once again, simple, incredibly easy installation. And there was a lady standing there going, ah, smiling, putting it together. And the video lasted about 30 seconds and had no information in it that I could use. So not only am I uninformed, I'm insulted at this point and still mad and the gate's still laying there in a pile. So I click on the next video, which is about 10 minutes long, and I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm watching, and I'm getting more and more impatient, and I'm getting all this information dumped on my head about how to put together this gate, which has like two parts here and a mound of bolts and nuts and all this stuff, and and um, I'm frustrated out of my mind, and I look down, and I'm like, ah, I'm only a minute and a half in. I can't do this, so I throw it away, you know get that video out of there, and and I just jump in, and eventually I get the job accomplished a day and a half later. Um, But the thing is, um, I, I know that this is kind of my style in assembling things. There are lots of things throughout our home that have been put together in that manner. I, I just don't like the instructions, mainly because there's not enough pictures, but, um, I, I'm one of those guys, I just want to jump in and just do it myself and figure it out. And the thing is, like I said, a lot of times I get lucky enough that the product ends up working. So we've got some gates in our house, and they work just fine. Ellis hasn't tumbled down the stairs yet. Um, But I'll tell you this much. I got the gates up, and by the end of that project, and and Brittany, please don't listen to this part, there, there, there was a large pile of leftover parts. Um, so this gate is up and it's done now. And I've got this box full of things that have never been installed. And so I'm left with the question, I wonder what those are all for. And you know what the, the thing is, the thing is, had I followed those instructions, I probably would have known what those parts were for. And the actual integrity of the gate may have been strengthened. Um, and, and really, the person who designed that gate, the one who engineered it, put it all together, their intended purpose for that gate may have been realized, but I just couldn't commit to taking the time to read all those instructions to do it just like they said. And therefore, the job may have been close to what it was supposed to be, but it never quite got there. And one of the things that I've learned is when, when I encounter projects When I encounter these problems with projects that I'm attempting, I often find that these issues that I'm encountering have less to do with my ability to execute and more to do with my failure to prepare. Instead of sitting down on the front end and saying, okay, what do I need to do here? I just jump in. I'm like, I don't have time for those instructions. I'd rather just get this job done. So it's not my ability necessarily, but it's, it's really, it's, it's my failure to do the preparation and to begin the job the right way. And one of the things that, that, um, that I've learned about myself in this process is that I have got to prepare. And you know what? It's, it's not just little projects like this, but it's so many things within our life that, we have got to take the time to be prepared. We've got to, we've got to simply follow the instructions sometimes. And it, it, it counts in the little things, and it counts in the large things of life. And it, 
typically ends up that, that the smaller the task, usually the smaller that the repercussion would be. But the same is true if you have a large event or a large task or a large uh, something that God has called you to that, that really the cost is, is equal to the size of the project as well. When we fail to prepare, those things tend to not turn out properly. And so tonight, as we talk about sticking to the plan, I, I usually like to divide my messages up like this. I, I talk about the what, the so what, and the now what. And, and for this particular message, the what tonight is simply this, that God cares about preparation. God cares about preparation. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture, and if you've been around here for any length of time and heard me speak, you know that I almost always go back to this. I almost always go back to this story. It takes place at the beginning of the book of Joshua when the Israelites were about to inhabit the promised land. They're standing there, shoulder to shoulder, literally on the banks of the Jordan River, and their feet are they're getting wet which was kind of serving as this physical reminder of their need for God's provision. And yet they're full of anticipation because they know, God, I need a miracle right now. That's where we find the Israelites at the beginning of the book of Joshua waiting, hoping for the promised land. It's just across the way in sight. But really for all of us, before we can fully grasp the, the, the size of that moment and the, the depth of that anticipation, we've got to go back. We've got to go back and, and realize what was in God's plan. What was the purpose behind all of that time that took place before that moment? What led up to that? And you know, you know I just kind of wonder, even before we jump into that, though, have you ever been there? Have you been there before or are you there now where you're standing and you're waiting, your feet are wet, and you're, you're constantly reminded that you're tired, you're out of options, there's nowhere to go, you can't go back, you really can't move side to side because you're, you're boxed in, you're kind of out of options. It's either like, God, you've got to take me forward, or I'm just stuck, I, I really don't know where to go. That's where the Israelites stood on that day, right there on the banks of the Jordan, that's their predicament. Now, one of the things that we do often when we, when we hear a message here in church, we listen and we'll pull out these important details, but I know that you're like me. You, you listen and, and you hear a great point and you're like, oh man, yeah, that's, that's incredible. My next door neighbor really needed to hear that. I wish he was here today. Or, you know, my uncle, he could really benefit from that. Or there's that cousin um, tonight, here's what I want you to do. I know that all those people need to hear this, but I want you, instead of thinking about all of this through those filters, I want you to, to just, if you will, please allow yourself to listen to all of this through the filter that God is talking to me. God's talking to me tonight. God is speaking to me about his word. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I want you to do, I want you to filter this through the lens of Crown Point Church. What is God saying to you, and what is God saying to us as a church tonight? Those are the two things. You can worry about somebody else later and tell them, hey, get, on, get online and listen to this, or whatever, whatever needs to be. You can pass your notes along. But tonight, in these next few moments as we're together, I want you to think of it in that context. God is speaking to me, and God is speaking to us right here in this place. 
So for us to really get in the spirit of that moment as the Israelites stood there full of anticipation, waiting for God to move them forward, we've got to understand what took place leading up to that moment. And I'm not here tonight to, to necessarily review all of the details of the Old Testament, but we've really got to kind of glaze over some of these things. We've got to step back and take a bird's eye view of this plan. It, it's kind of interesting when we, when we dig into Scripture and we really study a character, we really study a book of the Old Testament, we, we capture some great details and we really become aware of things that God was doing in that moment. But when we step back and we kind of get the the abridged version or the cliff notes of the Old Testament, it's so cool because we see God's plan just trickling along. From the beginning, God had a plan. His purpose was at work, and tonight we've got to stick to the plan. So I want to go back um, all the way to Abraham tonight. We're going to start with Abraham, and, and, and most of you know who Abraham was. Abraham Um, received this promise from God. He said, you will be the father of many nations. I will give you all of this land and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. And Abraham, of course, said, but God, I don't have a single child. How can that be so? And then, of course, God makes him that promise and he fulfills it. So Abraham and his wife, Sarai, who became Sarah, they're given a child and his name was Isaac, that's right. So they're given this child, Isaac, and they loved him. He was so dear to them. And then God says, I want you, Abraham, to sacrifice your child to me. And Abraham, I'm sure, was completely distraught. And we've heard message after message about what he could have been thinking and all the events of that thing. But nonetheless, Abraham was faithful and he moved forward with the plan. And he went on the mountaintop and he said, God, I'm giving you my son, and I'm about to sacrifice him to you. And all of those details came together, and Abraham began to sacrifice. And the Lord said, no, don't touch that child. He said, I will provide the sacrifice. And God did. And in that moment, Isaac's life was spared. And because Isaac's life was spared, and because Abraham was obedient, then Isaac went on, and he had two sons, and their names were? Jacob and Esau. Jacob was just a little bit ornery, if you haven't read that story too much. Do any of you have an ornery child tonight? Can anybody identify with that? You have an ornery child? Good. Some of you confess. My child is ornery. I want you to hang on to that detail because that orneriness is kind of a theme that, that kind of weaves its way through this story as well. So Isaac becomes the father of Jacob and Esau. Jacob's ornery. Nonetheless, in the midst of this, through an Henri act, he kind of receives his father's blessing, right? He becomes, um, <clears throat> he becomes known as Israel later on. Israel, of course, become the Israelites, the nation of Israel. Jacob, or Israel, had how many sons? Twelve sons, hence the twelve tribes of Israel. One of these sons was named Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, or I'm, I'm sorry, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, okay? We're moving right along. So Joseph was Henri, right? He was Henri. His brothers, they didn't like him because he was Henri to them. He was favored by his father, but he was an Henri child. And therefore, through all of this Henriness, he was sold into slavery 
How many of you have an ornery child? How many of you are ornery? There we go. I was an ornery child. Okay. So we've got Joseph now who was ornery once again. And as a result of that, by his brothers, was sold into slavery, winds up in Egypt. And I know we're skipping a lot of details, but we've got to kind of skip through all this just to really see how it fits together. So Joseph now within uh, within Egypt, by some miraculous favor, ends up, of course, working in the palace. And God ordains all of these details, and, and within that time, of course, there's a famine in the land, and Joseph, through his wisdom that's God-given, begins to instruct the nation on how to store up all of this grain ahead of time. So in the midst of this famine, people begin to travel from great distances to, to make their way and get, a, get some of this grain and, and, and receive provisions, and of course, along the line, his family comes and visits. And this is years and years later. They don't recognize him. He sees it. He knows what's happening. And of course, he sends his, his, his brothers home and he says, I want you to bring your whole family. You know the story. And eventually, of course, again, sparing many details, the whole family ends up there. And if you have any number of children, you know that they multiply, right? Kids produce kids who produce kids who produce kids. And if you started out with 12 of them, you're going to multiply even more so. So this nation of Israel, or literally Israel and his sons, begin to take residence within Egypt. They are there. They multiply. Their numbers get larger and larger and larger and larger. And of course, Eventually, it, it becomes like the, uh, you know, the, the first ancient edition of like MTV Cribs or something. They're like, yo, what's up? I'm Israel, and this is my crib right here in the palace. Anybody even have any idea what that is? Okay. Carol, thank you. Wah, wah. Joke flop. Scratch that one out. So centuries pass. Leaders go on. Um, <clears throat> And some of these things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History just literally became legend, and and the nation of Israel soon was this large, large, large group living within Egypt. And the Egyptians, of course, were threatened by their numbers. They thought, we've got to get control over this situation. Somehow, we've got to figure out what to do with these people or else they're going to overtake us. And our kingdom will be no more. So, of course, they, they force them into slavery. And life becomes very difficult for the Israelites. And then, of course, if you continue to fast forward, in further population control efforts, they begin to kill children. And somehow in that process, we can read and, and we can find out that, that Moses, who comes along later on, was spared from this whole slaughter. And miraculously, once again, there's an Israelite living within the palace there in Egypt. It's so fascinating when you just kind of pick out these little highlights and you, and you just look at how century after century after century, generation after generation after generation, God's plan is unfolding. From the very beginning, he had a purpose. He had a plan. You know, I was reading uh, this this last week, just a total side note. I was reading um, 
some some article that that a, a friend of mine had written and and talked about just the kind of the chaos of of God's creativity and how you know there there seemed to be no order to this universe which operates by order and i thought oh you're missing it you're missing it because if you look if you look deep within the situation and even if you stand back you can see God was never chaotic. There was never a moment when God was out of control. His plan was there from the beginning. And each time a generation turned over, and each time his plan began to unfold, we moved further and further along within that, and we got closer and closer to God's redemption that he had planned all along. So, God had this plan, and here we are at, at this point with Moses, after just a, um, you know, just a time of, of living, you know, he was raised within, within the palace, and, and, and he basically raised as an Egyptian. Eventually, of course, this plan continues to unfold. Moses winds up in the wilderness, he spends a few years there, and, and God works in his life to do lots and lots of things to kind of develop him into the person that he wants him to be, and of course, Moses returns. Moses returns to his people. And through that process, God performs tons and tons of miracles in an effort to release the Israelites from captivity. And in the process of all of this, the Israelites were once again Henri. Correct? So here the Israelites have made it out of captivity after all these years of, of, of serving and, and, um, and not, sorry, not serving, but, but literally being enslaved by the Egyptians. Um, roughly 400 years that they are there and that they are in slavery. And um, God releases them miraculously through Moses. But they get loose, of course. They're wandering through the wilderness because they're so ornery. They, they really could have used GPS or four-wheel drive or something. But nonetheless, their journey just kept going and going and going. So after, after they're delivered, they're ornery, they wander. And, and eventually this leadership is, is exchanged. And again, I know that we're skipping over details, but I promise there's a purpose here. So 40 years, they pass by, and eventually Moses being at the head turns into Joshua being the leader. And um, the beginning of the book of Joshua is just this incredible experience where, where God is literally breathing life and energy and, and, and plans. He's communicating plans, and he's raising Joshua up to be the leader that he's called him to be. Joshua, of course, no doubt, human like the rest of us, full of, of doubts. He's full of anxiety and fears. And, 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 and here he is, a young leader who's taking over, and he's witnessed all of these incredible things. But, but here he is leading these people now at, at one of the most critical times in the entire history of the Israelites. You remember way, way, way back now? We're lots and lots of years removed from the beginning there when, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I will give you this land. Here we are. Here we are now. All the way, <clears throat> all the way up to the point of Joshua. 
Here, here we are, the Israelites waiting to take hold of the promised land. And they stand there with wet feet, waiting to cross the Jordan and take hold of those promises. How many of you feel like that's, that's kind of the phase that you're stuck in? You're just, you're in a holding pattern. Not really sure what God has next for you. Not really sure, you know, if, if he'll really provide that miracle to take you to the next step. But you're pretty certain you're kind of stuck where you're at. There's really no backing up. You, I mean, you don't want to go backwards. You know where you've been. There's no point in going back there. You really can't get side to side, but you're waiting on that miracle from the Lord. You're waiting for God to speak and say, this is what's next for you. I would imagine that there there are actually many people in the room tonight, whether you're there right now or not, you've been there or you'll be there at some point in your life. And God's words to Joshua, I think, are one of the most critical things that you and I can do in our lives as we seek to follow after the Lord and obtain the blessing that he has for our life. See, in that critical moment, as, as the Lord is, is unfolding these plans for Joshua, beginning of that book is, is so incredible because, again, God's plan is not just this, this overarch. He, he gets involved in the details. He gets involved in the steps One at a time, he leads us along our path. And he tells Joshua, this is what you need to do. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, this is what you're going to do. And there's one little verse in this story, in the third chapter, that I want to pull out and focus on for just a couple of moments. And then we're going to take some time to pray tonight. But before we do that, The third chapter, Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. As Joshua is communicating the plans to the people, they're standing there. At this point, you know, we're we're actually a day ahead of this moment when they're on the banks of the Jordan. God's given all the instructions of of how they're going to cross and what they're going to do once they get across and everything. And, And this one little verse is so easy to pass over. In the midst of all of that instruction and detail, Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Right? No, 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 no. Not, not, um, no. Let's not worry about how we're lining up yet. Let's not worry about any, any of the stones that we've talked about. Let's, let's not talk about who's going in this direction and how we're going to get here. And, and once we get across, let's not even talk about all of that stuff yet. Let's not even think about that land just yet. But first and foremost, consecrate yourselves. And that word, I know it doesn't come up in our, in our language every single day. It's a really, really churchy term. You know, we, we talk about consecrating things. We talk about, uh, you know, a building that would, that would be consecrated to God. We talk about consecrating things really just within this context, but, but really what we're talking about, if you really dig into it, the, the, the definition of consecrate is, is literally just to set apart, to make holy for a divine purpose. Set apart. So Joshua is saying, hey, look, look, I know where you're at right now, and tomorrow is going to be an incredible day. 
Tomorrow is going to be amazing. Tomorrow is the stuff that we've talked about for a long time. Tomorrow is literally the dream that we've been waiting for, the thing that our ancestors talked about time and time and time again, the thing that you want most for your life right now. That's tomorrow, but today, consecrate yourselves. And he's saying, I want you to take your heart. I want you to take your plans. I want you to take everything before we make a single move. And I want you to set yourself apart. Set yourself apart for God. Take all of those things, the plans, the dreams, and set them apart. Make yourself available to be used by God. And you know, when I look at that, that command right there to consecrate yourselves, I really think of it in terms of this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's plan for our lives, that we would take time before we jump into the minutia of, of the steps that are laid out in front of us, before we, we grab the parts, you know, to assemble this thing, before we, we, we begin to, to tighten the nuts and the bolts and we grab this part and we grab that, before we do any of that stuff, let's just take just a minute and focus our thoughts, fix our eyes, open our heart to the Lord and consecrate ourselves to him for his divine purpose. Stick to the plan. Now's not the time to jump ship. I, I, I know Joshua was probably telling them, look, I know from where we are at right now, you can, you can see the promised land. It's there. You can see it. You can hear the water moving, rushing along. You can, you, you, again, you can see that land. You can probably, and, and their exact situation, you know, all of their senses were awakened to that moment and the reality that tomorrow would be the day that they inhabit that land. But Joshua says, no, not yet. This is today. This is now. And before we get there, we've got to get this in line first. Let's get our hearts ready. We've got the plan. Now let's prepare ourselves. Maybe for some of you, again, maybe for some of you, you're, you're at a place in life where, where you can see the prize just ahead in the distance. You know there's an end in sight. You know that, that um, the blessings that you've maybe dreamed of or, or the career that you've dreamed of, or, or the salvation of a child that you've prayed for and longed for, or a healing, no matter what that is tonight that, that is so dear in your heart, you can see it just ahead. It's, it's just out of reach. And God is calling us to consecrate ourselves. Why? He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Not just yet. I know you want to get ahead of it. I know you want to jump in right now. But today is the day to consecrate. For tomorrow, I will do amazing things among you, the Lord says. You know, and there's something about that that is so freeing. We, we want to... We, 
we want to just celebrate in the fact that God's going to, you know, there, there's amazing things ahead. But did you notice it says, Joshua says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. And if you skip that first part, consecrate yourselves, and you just jump to tomorrow, I have a feeling you might as well just cross out the Lord in that whole equation. If we neglect this process of preparing our hearts, preparing ourselves, setting ourselves aside, making ourselves available for the Lord, then, then ultimately what we're doing is we're removing him from that equation, crossing out the Lord, and ultimately taking upon ourselves, relying on our own abilities, throwing out the instructions, clicking out of that YouTube channel. We're, we're, we're skipping all of the important steps and we're just jumping ahead to take hold of those amazing things. And you know what? You, you might even get it for a little while. But when you grab it within your own strength, then it's your responsibility to hang on to it, right? If you get yourself there, then you got to keep yourself there. But if we consecrate ourselves for tomorrow, God will do amazing things among you. He's taking us. And when God takes you to the promised land, you're there. When he gives, it's yours. When you take, it's yours to hold on to. But when God gives, when God delivers on a promise, when he says, I want to bless you, you are my child, I, I am rewarding you for your faithfulness. The gift is yours, free to take, free to hold on to, free to enjoy. Again, I, I like to think of things in terms of the what, the so what, and the now what. And the so what of all of this, of course, is just that God is asking you to prepare. God is asking you to prepare. You know, and I, I still think back to that baby gate, and I think that may not have been a day and a half project had I just sat down and read the simple instructions, right? You know, and I'm not, I'm not completely dumb. I, I, I can be sometimes, but I'm not completely that way, and I actually learned from that scenario. <clears throat> I was frustrated enough that I thought, I'm, I'm not going to get in this predicament next time. So not long ago, um, Brittany and I needed to replace all the locks on our house. And um, we uh, go to the store, we pick out all these locks, you know, we've got several of these things in a box. We come home, and immediately I thought, well, I've got like an hour to get several of these locks on. I think it was, what was it, four outside locks and, I don't know, five, six indoor locks, and I thought, well, I can at least get the outdoor ones fixed for tonight. So right away I thought, you know what, I'm just going to jump in. It's a lock. I can take this one apart, see generally how it's in there, and just throw this back together. And so I sit down, of course, in my usual fashion, relying on my own ability, and very quickly realize I need to read the instructions. Long story short, that time I read the manual. I read the instructions. And guess what? 
We have locks on our home that work. They actually work. And I only had a few leftover parts this time. Just kidding. We're safe, babe, I promise. Um, No, but I I learned from my mistakes, and and through all of that, I, I figured out that it's really not that hard. It's not that hard to just take a couple of minutes and prepare yourself. And that's really what Scripture calls us to do time and time and time again. It, it's, it's, it's this idea that, that in order to really succeed in, in God's promises and in God's blessing, we need to take time, set si- some, some time aside to fix our eyes on Him and prepare ourselves for what He wants to do within our lives. So the now what, moving right along, is simply that, that, that God desires to do amazing things in you. God cares about the plan. He cares about the preparation. All of these details are important to him. He does not skip over the details. And God is asking you to prepare tonight. He's asking me to prepare tonight. He's asking us as a church to prepare. Why? Because he wants to do great things in your life. He's already promised it. We can question it. We can sit back and doubt it. We, we, we can do all of those things, but the fact is he's already told us this is true in his word. And tonight he's simply asking us, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. So again, think about that moment as the Israelites stood there. Again, their, their, their feet are wet because they're, they're literally on the banks of the Jordan and they're, they're packed in this, this area. And, and, and I imagine those, those people in the front, their, their toes and their feet are literally they're, they're there in the water, and, and there's so many reminders of the fact that, that, that they need God's provision. There's the promise over there. But between the promise and them stands something that they cannot overcome on their own. They need God's provision. And tonight, I wonder how many of you can see that promised land in the future, and between you... And that promise, there's a Jordan River. It's kind of raging along in front of you, passing by and maybe even intimidating you from pursuing God anymore. Some of us are there tonight, waiting to take hold of the prize, but just literally waiting on God. So here's what I want us to do as we wrap up tonight. I, I, th- I think that our response to this can be really simple. And I think that it's already clearly spelled out for us. I want each of you tonight, including myself, to just take a few minutes, and we're literally just going to stay right where we're at. And I would ask you tonight to just, you know, even if you want to turn around and kind of make an altar at your seat, or if you just want to bow your head, but, but I want us to be very intentional about the next couple of moments. We're not, we're not going to go anywhere just yet, but I'm done with with the message portion of this, and we're going to move into a time of of really responding and putting this to work within our hearts. 
But here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a couple of moments and seek the Lord right where we're at and ask him to give us a vision, give us a glimpse of that promised land. Just as the Israelites stood there and they could see it in the distance, let's just pray, God, would you give me that kind of picture that what you have for me, what you want for me, God, that, that I would see it just ahead. And, and maybe for some of you, even as you close your eyes right now, you don't even, you don't even have to strain at all. You know, you know what is ahead. It's already there in your heart. God's already birthed it in your heart. You know what, what it is that, that God desires to do. It's there. Scripture says that, that God will give us the desires of our heart. And I'm not talking, of course, about you know, loads of money and shiny toys and things like that. But, but what has God birthed in your heart, given you a passion for that he's calling you to tonight? Let's take just a moment and say, God, would you give me a vision for those desires that you have placed within me? If you'd keep your heads bowed tonight, I want to take this just another step further. If you remember, at the beginning, I asked you to listen through a couple of filters. I want us to think about what the Lord has for our lives. And secondly, I want us to think, you know, we are a church. We're a family here, and God's called you to this congregation. What is God calling us to as a church? Can we just seek the Lord for just a moment and ask him in that same manner that he would just begin to reveal to us the things that he has promised for us as a church, that he'd give us a glimpse of that promised land. God, would you just give us eyes to see tonight? Lord, prepare our hearts. Hopefully there are things that are coming to mind, and, and, and let's just continue in this same attitude of prayer, just remaining kind of in this little altar area of all of our own. Hopefully, hopefully now the promised land is, is beginning to, to kind of take form in your mind, and God's revealing things to you. Now that that's in sight, God is asking us to do this, to consecrate ourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things. So let's just take a couple of minutes and and say, God, we can see that promised land. See it for me and for my family. See it for this church and for, for my church family. 
God, I know that you've got plans for me. I know that you desire to do great things in me and through me. And Lord, I just want to take this moment before I take another step on this journey. Before I jump into the project in my own ability, Lord, I want to prepare myself to be a part of your plan and what you're doing. Lord, I want you to shape my heart. I want you to mold me. I want you to plant the desires in my heart. God, may you remove anything.